So we've been preaching through Mark's Gospel, and we've, we've reached the halfway point. So it's quite a short story, uh, but you're going to need to listen. Uh, there's quite a lot going on here. Um, and you've heard this story before, probably many times, some of you. And I want you to think about it as if you're hearing it for the first time, uh, because I think this story is weird. All right? So we're looking at Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26, and it's the healing of a blind man. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see men. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. What's that all about? I hope you've uh, come to appreciate this, but as we've looked through Mark's Gospel, we find that Mark is actually a brilliant storyteller. He's a, a brilliant editor. He's selected from all the things that Jesus did and said, and he's put them together for us uh, to tell us a very compelling story, a very in-your-face, very immediate story. Nothing appears in Mark's Gospel by accident. Everything has its place. Mark wants to engage us, to draw us into the story. Uh, Quite often we find a crowd in the story, and Mark sees us as an extension of the crowd. So today you're part of the crowd, you're looking on and seeing what is happening. Mark wants us to have an encounter with Jesus. Mark uses a lot of questions. Sometimes he doesn't even give us the answer to the question. It's as if it's left as an exercise for the reader. For example, uh, why does he talk like that? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Or, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Or, Jesus himself saying, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And uh, the section we're looking at today, there's a question. Do you see anything? Well, what did you see? What caught your attention? Well, um, why are we looking at a blind man? Uh, If you've been following the story of Mark's Gospel, we've seen lots of more dramatic things than a blind man. Uh, We've seen Jesus heal people of all kinds of diseases, presumably including blindness. We've seen Jesus still a storm with just a word, quiet. 
We've seen Jesus raise a little girl from death to life with just two little words. Talitha kum, little girl, get up. We've seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with just a few bread rolls and then 4,000 people with just a few more bread rolls. Why a blind man? And why did Jesus lead the man outside the village? We've seen Jesus heal a woman in a crowd. Well, I suppose it shows us a little bit that Jesus can have a personal approach to people, that he doesn't always deal with crowds. We know he uh, took his disciples on one side occasionally, uh, 12 of them, and he schooled them in, in what he was doing. He tried to teach them and show them who he was and what he was about. And here he takes one person out and, and has a personal encounter. And why the command, don't go back to the village? I mean, he sent a leper back to get a certificate of good health. Uh, He sent a man who'd had a legion of demons in him back to his people to tell them how much the Lord had done for him. And and, and why why does Jesus, I don't know, you've got this, why does Jesus spit? This this is the Sunday school teacher's nightmare. Uh, You can just imagine our friend Isaac in Sunday school hearing this and uh, and then uh, his mum having to say, Isaac, why are, you, why are you spitting people? And he said, um, I've got a scripture. I'm just being biblical. Jesus spat. Uh, why, why spitting? Hmm. Well, let's just address that one. Uh, there was an idea, and there is an idea, that, that saliva has healing properties. Um, uh, that it's uh, actually a salve. Uh, it, it, it could be, I don't know, you, you wouldn't recommend rubbing it on your eyes, perhaps. Not particularly, we have the expert here. Um, But there was also a tradition that the spit of kings had special healing properties, and maybe that's part of what's going on here. But why did this one take two steps? Why why was this so hard? Why was it um, two times a charm? Uh, Was Jesus having a particularly bad day. Oops, let me fix that. Um, Should he have gone to Specsavers or eyewear? Uh, uh, And was it just one of those long consultations, you know? Is that better with, without, more spit, less spit? You don't use spit, no. Actually, this is the only recorded incident in the New Testament of an apparent failure of Jesus not getting it right first time. Have you ever thought about that? It's the only recorded... None of the other Gospels risk telling us about this. Um, Hmm... Should we perhaps look to science for the answer? Well, of course, uh, Jesus healed the man's physical body. He made his eyes work again. 
and now his mind needs to work again. Um, and science will tell us the answer. Uh, well, I, I don't know what people did for the nearly 2,000 years before they had science to give them the answer, um, but I don't think science is going to help us here. In fact, generally, when we look at miracles, it, it's a bad idea to look for naturalistic explanations. Uh, they are recorded as miracles, as wonders, as signs. Uh, and to, to, to try and look for a naturalistic scientific explanation can sometimes just mean we're lazy and we're not really working with the passage that we've got. Or is this even a... Perhaps this is here in the Bible as a model for our healing ministry. Hmm. You know, you may have seen something like this. Uh, You're just being biblical, it's what Jesus did. Keep trying, and eventually uh, it'll work. Now, it certainly shows us that... uh, People are individuals, and not every case is the same. But perhaps that's not even the point here either. And the other, the other thing that bothered me a lot this last week is, um, why, why did he see men like trees walking about? Why not, um, hey, look at my hands, they look like grapefruit. Or, um, hey, look at the sky, it looks like an ocean. Uh, why, why men walking around like trees? And I, I did find one fanciful commentator who thought it was connected to Judges verse 9, where we find talking trees. I think he didn't understand that T and W are different letters. Are these as walking trees? That was talking. I don't think it has anything to, to help us with at all. But nothing in Mark is random. Structure. Uh, is very important to Mark in his writing. He, he loves to sandwich things together. He loves to use bookends. Um, something started here, it runs here, and there's another thing here that is the end. Um, he likes bracketing, he likes wordplay, and he likes to refer to the Old Testament, sometimes cryptically, sometimes very explicitly. Uh, we also know that Mark is writing on behalf of the Apostle Peter. Uh, Peter was either about to die or had just died, and and Mark is most probably writing up Peter's preaching. And Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus told Peter and his fisherman's friends that they would fish for people. Um, And now, if you find something puzzling in Mark's gospel, he's got you, you're on a hook. He wants to draw you in. Uh, So go with it. You've been caught like a fish. And if you want to know what the solution to the puzzle is, look around the text. Well, let's look at the context then. Why a blind man? Um, In the feeding of the 4,000, we saw in in Mark chapter 8, 1 to to 10... uh, There's something of a repeat going on. We'll see that in a minute. Um, There's an argument with the Pharisees demanding a sign. Yes, arguments with the Pharisees happen quite often. And then there's the healing of a blind man. If we rewound to Mark chapter 6, we'd find the feeding of the 5,000. In Mark chapter 7, we find another argument with the Pharisees. And then we find the healing of a deaf man. In fact, it's almost... A carbon copy. Mark uses a lot of the same Greek, apparently. I don't know Greek, but 
he uses a lot of the same Greek. Uh, there's a, um, Jesus takes someone aside from the, ca- the crowd. There's spitting, uh, applied, there's touching, uh, and there's a command not to tell anyone. And it's all done in one go, it, except in this time it wasn't done in one go. It, it, it still raises a lot of questions, uh, but there seems to be in Mark's mind a pattern emerging here, feeding a lot of people, argument with Pharisees, and then a deaf man is healed, and the second time around, feeding 4,000 people, argument with Pharisees, and then a blind man is healed. Mark wants us actually to see an Old Testament connection, and it's in Isaiah chapter 35, where we read, verse 6, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. The trouble with uh, pulling in another Bible like that, another Bible reference, is uh, it just raises even more questions. In what sense has God come? Where's this vengeance and retribution? And how is God going to save his people? But there's clearly a reference to that, and, and, and Mark sees that as the connection. So this blind man being healed is a really important deal. And what, what can we learn from the immediate context? Um, well, we had, uh, after the feeding of the 5,000, after the feeding of the 4,000, uh, the argument with the Pharisees for the second time round, a blind man gets healed. But there's also this in Mark 8, 14 to 22. It's sort of sandwiched in the middle uh, between the argument with the Pharisees and the blind man being healed. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf, which they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And a little bit later it says, do you still not understand? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? This is why there's a blind man slap bang in the middle of the story. There was a, a deaf man because of this issue of hearing and having ears to hear. I don't know, um, we had an incident with one of our many children um, years ago, very memorable, where we called... Which one shall I pick on? Daniel! Daniel! Nobody came. Actually, this doesn't sound like Daniel. So it's probably Andrew. Andrew! Andrew! <laughs> And nobody came. Called Andrew, Andrew. 
Nobody came. In the end, we went and found him. Andrew, why didn't you come? He said, I didn't hear you when you called the first three times. Oops. But there is a hearing, isn't there, which is not hearing. There is also a seeing that is not seeing. That little quiz in the boat. When I fed 5,000 people with five loaves, how many basketfuls did you pick up? Twelve, they all shouted. And when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, how many baskets did you pick up? Seven, they all said. And he says, but you don't get it, do you? You saw, you even picked up the pieces, but you don't understand. So this is about blindness. What else is there in the immediate context that would help us nail this as about something other than physical blindness? Well, the following few verses, Mark chapter 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples went onto the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, the disciples, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Can you see the connection? Can you see what Mark has done? Jesus has just said that they are blind. Jesus has taken them away from the villages. They're actually in between villages on a journey. And there's a question. Not do you see anything, but who do people say I am? And notice too, there's, there's one of Mark's little bracketing bookmark things going on here as well. Um, in Mark six fourteen to 16, we hear, When Herod heard about what Jesus was doing, for Jesus' name had become well known, some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah, and still others claimed he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I'm beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Can you see, those are the things that have just been, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And compare that with just a few verses before. Do you see anything? The blind man looks up. I see men. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Can you see the connection? Maybe you're not convinced. (laughs) Can you see why Mark included the story of a healing of a blind man here? And can you see how Jesus makes the healing of a blind man a kind of living parable? There's certainly a lot of parallels between the two things. But we haven't finished because the biggest question is still there. Why didn't it take the first time? Why did Jesus have to have two goes at this one? 
Why the second touch? I think Mark's going to help us with this as well. We just read on into the next part of Mark. Uh, We're going to just touch on this because Keith's going to pick up this next week. But Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Hold on, Peter. This is the person you have just declared is the Messiah, the King, the Christ. And now you're treating him like a demon. The word rebuke there is the same word that's used when Jesus rebukes the demons. This can never happen to you. You're the Christ. This can never happen to you. Can you see? Mark chapter 8, verse 18. The disciples are blind. Do you have eyes but fail to see. Mark chapter 8, verse 29. Peter has a light bulb moment. You're the Messiah. Mark chapter 8, verse 32. Just three verses on. Peter demonstrates unequivocally, I think, that he really doesn't get it. We could say he sees that Jesus is the Messiah but he just doesn't see it clearly at all. And that is why Mark has included this miracle in his story. To show us what is happening to the disciples, to show us what is happening to Peter. And actually, we're going to have to wait a long time, another seven years, until we get to Mark chapter 15, until we see somebody who really gets it. Now that person is a Roman centurion and he has just overseen the killing of the Lord Jesus. And Mark tells us in Mark chapter 15 verse 37 when he had seen the way that he died when he had seen seen how he died he said surely This man was the Son of God. Peter has all the evidence of all these miracles and amazing signs, and he can conclude that Jesus is the Christ. The centurion can look at the dead body of the Lord Jesus on the cross and say, That's proof. He's the Son of God. Wow. It's going to take us quite a long time to get there. We start, actually, we begin to see this next week because we're going to be looking at what Jesus was teaching there. But let's just recap. We've, met, we've, we've got to halfway in Mark's Gospel. Mark set out in verse 1 of chapter 1 what his story was going to be. This is good news about Jesus the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of God. And we have waited eight chapters to hear the word Messiah used again. And here it is, on Peter's lips, 
after all the evidence of storms being stilled, of thousands of people being, thre- being fed with just a few bread rolls, of, of a woman who'd had a disease for 12 years being healed just by touching Jesus, of a man with 2,000 demons being completely cleansed, of a little girl who's died, a 12-year-old girl who's died, being raised to life. They've had all this evidence, and they come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ. And that's what Mark has wanted us to see. And that's why he's arranged the information the way he has. We get to Mark chapter 8, verse 29. You are the Christ. And Mark goes, big tick. We're halfway there. And then we have to wait until Mark chapter 15, verse 39, to hear the centurion say, this is the Son of God. This is the good news about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. We're halfway there. It's so important that we know who Jesus is. This is where I just throw the notes away and we just... uh, The big question for us is the question that Jesus posed the disciples. Not so much who do people say that I am, but who do you say that I am? As we've gone through Mark's Gospel, some of you haven't been here for much of that. But as you encounter Jesus in the Gospels, it demands the question. It demands an answer to this question. Who do you say? It's all very well. It's all very well, these people having their understanding of who Jesus is. And they they had quite a, a collection of views. I mean, we've seen Jesus the teacher. Jesus the healer. Jesus, the feeder of thousands. Jesus, the calmer of furious storms. Jesus, the caster-outer of thousands of demons. Jesus, the raiser of the dead. Jesus, the forgiver of sins. Who do they? Who do the world think Jesus is? If on a good day, if they're feeling nice... They'll say he was a good man and he had some nice ideas. And it would be all very nice if we lived by them. uh, And it's such a shame that they killed him. But who do you say that Jesus is? The astonishing thing in Mark's Gospel is, uh, actually we, we see this division between those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. Jesus chose 12, calling them apostles, and he trained them. They were his inside people, and he taught them everything, explained everything. But as we go through Mark's gospel, the most stunning thing is that the people who really got it, or the beings that really got it, were demons. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Whoa, what do you want with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And the disciples are clueless. And it's important to to know who Jesus is so that we know how to 
respond to him. When Jesus touched people and they were healed, like this man with the legion of demons, what is the net result? The net result is the man is at Jesus' feet, he's clothed and in his right mind. When Jairus comes to Jesus with his request for his daughter, who's dangerously ill, he's at Jesus' feet on his knees. When the Syrophoenician woman, who has a demon-possessed daughter, comes to Jesus, how does she address him as Lord? But she is at his feet. Now Peter, who seems to know that Jesus is the Messiah still thinks it's okay to argue. Who do you think that he is? You see, you can know the name of something without knowing what it really is. I can know the name of a bird. I could know it in several languages, but I don't necessarily know what it is. And Peter has demonstrated that he sees now very clearly that Jesus is the Christ but he has demonstrated that he knows absolutely nothing about who the Christ is or what he must do. And if we are to become followers of Jesus, it's important that we don't just know Jesus' title, but we know what kind of Messiah, what kind of king he is. Because Jesus will say next week, hopefully. If anyone would be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. And maybe that's the closest we get to trees walking around. Uh, When you look at the disciples, if they're behaving properly, they should all look like a bunch of men carrying crosses around. Look, I see men. They are like a bunch of crosses walking around. That's what... uh, he should have seen it wasn't what he saw but if you don't understand Jesus' identity you don't understand his mission you don't understand his call then you're in for a bumpy ride the first time something goes wrong in your life the first disappointment you have if you think Jesus is all about being your bank manager about being your perfect doctor, about being your perfect teacher. Uh, The first time you get fired, the first time you go overdrawn, the first time somebody crashes into your car, the first time you're seriously ill, if you don't know what kind of Messiah and Saviour Jesus is, you might give up. But if you understand that Jesus is a ruler, a king, not like any other, and that he calls us to take up our cross and follow him, and that he promises us that even if we lose our lives, we will gain them. Even if we give up the world, we will have our souls then you'll be very happy indeed. So understanding who Jesus is and understanding what his mission is is vital to be happy as a Christian.
Now, we're part of a group of churches called Christ Central Churches. And that's no accident. Um, what is it that distinguishes us? Uh, well, perhaps you like our worship. Perhaps you like uh, our food. Perhaps you like our kids' work. Perhaps you like our website. Uh, perhaps you like our preaching. No, no it's not good there. Um, perhaps you like lots of things. But if you don't see Jesus, there's something wrong. So church, together, we have to know who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. We have to know more than that he is just the Christ. Oh yes, he's the Christ. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He's not just our teacher. He's not just our healer. He's not just our bank manager or our employer. If you think the Christian gospel is about Jesus being your ticket to heaven, you've got it wrong. Jesus is so much more than a ticket to heaven. Imagine you remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? What is the treasure in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? It is the Chocolate Factory and all it contains. Jesus isn't just the ticket to the Chocolate Factory. He is the Chocolate Factory. Jesus is... Well, let's hear... Uh, what Paul thought about this. Do you think you've got it all together? Do you think you know Jesus perfectly? Do you think you couldn't learn any more? Paul said, not that I've already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I want to know Christ. That's the word. I want to know Christ, the Messiah. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He also said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. That's a polite word for what Paul actually said. It's the sort of thing that you would put your foot in if you're not careful walking around the streets. He he had a lot of religious observance and a lot of good things that he could boast about. And he said, I consider that rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain do you think you know Christ completely do you think you have nothing to learn we are like a blind man who sees but doesn't see clearly Paul saw himself the same way He had this amazing experience of Jesus when he was Saul on the road to Damascus, a blinding light. Then his eyes were opened later, but he then considered that everything he knew up to that point was rubbish 
and that he needed to know Jesus properly. He needed to have his eyes opened. Um, Are you struggling with the fact that your Christian life isn't where you want it to be? What does Paul say the answer to that is? In 2 Corinthians 3... Verse 8, but we'll read this. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces can contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Christian life is to be one of progress, of development, of growth. Peter was going to have to wait a long time before he would see Jesus clearly. And even then he would want to see him more clearly. So be encouraged. If you don't see Jesus very clearly today, there's a very quick fix. There's another blind man in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 10, and he has a name. His name is Bartimaeus. And uh, we don't have time to go into that, but his approach to this is to know who Jesus is and then to cry out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I think what would be good now is uh, I'd like us to sing... Uh, Andrew, if you could um, open the eyes of my heart. So if you'd like to stand, I think it would be a good way to respond um, to this, to to consider that uh, Jesus has opened the eyes of many of us. Uh, Maybe some of you are still blind and not having a clue about who Jesus is. Um, Maybe some are struggling... um, to get their head round who Jesus is. Uh, Maybe some of us just feel it's gone a bit misty, it's gone a bit vague. But we know that Jesus delights in opening the eyes of the blind, that Jesus delights in having a personal encounter with us. Jesus responds to to prayers like this so let's let's sing together open the eyes of my heart